goes mainstream podcast today's episode dives deep into one of the fastest growing independent wealth platforms in the u.s sanctuary wealth we have sanctuary's md and head of alternative investments patrick mcgowan and director of strategic partnerships oksana poznak on the show to discuss why they believe alternative investments are a key driver of their growth and why they are so important to the development of wealth managers practices patrick and oksana both bring valuable perspectives on private markets to bear Patrick was previously a SVP and head of product management at Azimut Alternative Capital Partners, the New York-based GP stakes arm of Azimut Group, one of the largest independent wealth management companies in the world. This background gives him a great understanding of the GP stakes world, where he spent a bunch of time thinking about this in terms of how it relates to the wealth channel. Prior to Azimut, Patrick was part of Invesco Private Capital's team the $1 billion PE and VC arm of Invesco, where he focused on their efforts for a CalSTRS SMA and fund of funds that invested in a number of high-performing and generally smaller and emerging VC fund managers. He also worked at OC Private Capital, a JV between Carlisle and Oppenheimer funds, the advisor to a billion-dollar closed-end interval fund focused on private credit. And prior to this role, he was a senior director at AI Insight, which was recently acquired by iCapital. He started his career at Oppenheimer Funds and then worked Altegris Investments, which was a pioneer in bringing alts to the wealth channel. Oksana brings over 20 years of experience in business development, marketing, and relationship management to Sanctuary. She was most recently segment marketing director at Case, where she promoted alternative investment fund managers. Prior to Case, she held senior positions at Atria Wealth Solutions, BNY Mellon Pershing, Ladenburg Thalman, and Advisor Group. We had a fascinating discussion about the intersection of wealth and alts. We covered what it will take to grow Sanctuary to $100 billion, super RIA, as I like to call it, why the Wealth Channel is so interested in alternatives, why alternative asset managers are interested in working with the Wealth Channel, how alternative asset managers can best approach working with and educating the Wealth Channel, the biggest mistake alternative asset managers make when trying to work with the Wealth Channel, how smaller funds can partner with wealth advisors, and much more. Thanks, Patrick and Oksana, for coming on the show to share your thoughts and wisdom about the intersection of wealth and alts. We hope you enjoy. Oksana, Patrick, welcome to the Alco's Mainstream Podcast. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Pleasure to have you both. I think what, what you've built at Sanctuary and done in your prior careers is really relevant in a number of ways to talking about what's going on in the alt space and really the intersection of a trend that is, I think, driving both alts adoption, but also driving the wealth channel forward, which is this intersection of alts and wealth. That's really where I want to start. Talk to me a bit about Sanctuary and how it fits into this whole trend of the platformization of the wealth channel. I think what makes us at Sanctuary 
different from the wealth platform standpoint. There are four things that we like to talk about. Number one is our elite teams. We experience bringing on very senior season and elite advisors who are ready, willing, and able to grow. And our platform can facilitate and support that. Another thing that is uh, very cool and different with us is our partnered independence concept where partners are ready to uh, step in and actually become entrepreneurs and for the first time really feel what it's like to run their own businesses. And we're there for them, right? They're under one ADV, but they're their own entrepreneurs and they run their own teams and their own asset allocation models. We are there to help them do that. And especially we're there to train and educate on alts. The third thing is our leadership team and the caliber of uh, people on the home office level. That's, I think, what makes us so successful and uh, helps us bring in these elite teams because we've been around the street, we've seen a thing or two, and we can help advisors educate them and bring those skill set and proficiency elements to the conversation. And we advise them how to take the business to the next level and evolve with us. I look to our CEO, Adam Mandelman. I always say that CEO's role is to do three things. Number one is to set up the right culture. Number two is to provide strategy. Number three is to bring the right lieutenants. While you're talking to the two of them right now, Adam and team's been phenomenal in driving and supporting our lead advisors. The fourth thing I would like to say is truly what we call our sanctuary difference. That's a a set of uh, solutions, tools, resources, products that makes us so unique and helps us recruit. It's a great overview of Sanctuary, especially in the context of the broader trends that are happening in this space. I know that Patrick, you worked at a firm that's now an investor in Sanctuary at Azimut. Would love to hear your thoughts on the business model around these platforms and why you think private equity and private capital is so interested in the wealth space and then how that relates to what Sanctuary is building as a business. Yeah, you're correct that certainly private capital is very interested in the wealth space. I think the first thing to echo with Oksana's statements that we wouldn't really be having this conversation unless we had a management team that is here strategically to capitalize on the trend that knows the space really well. Echelon had a report recently that private equity is one of the largest contributing factors to M&A activity in the wealth management space. I believe private equity firms are increasingly drawn to invest in wealth management because of several compelling reasons. First, wealth management industry offers a strong pipeline of investment opportunities. Private equity firms are always looking for pipeline. And when we talk to private markets managers, I always try to understand their ability to source deals. And this pipeline right now is really strong. I'll talk about the trends, but they're also backed by really favorable macroeconomic environment right now. Our industry is fragmented. The wealth management industry by nature is fragmented and presents a unique opportunity for consolidation and growth. Secondly, smaller RIAs face challenges with things like succession planning and the need to scale up to manage administrative burdens effectively, creating an ideal investment scenario for private equity. National firms like Sanctuary are really well positioned to facilitate this transition. The environment is leading to a significant consolidation within wealth management sector. Private equity finds this appealing because 
the business model in wealth management typically involves assets are, that are very sticky. We have really long-term investment horizons on all of our clients we work with. We think about the long-term. So it helps provide a very stable financial base. And moreover, the scalability of our platform is also particularly effective and attractive. It allows for us to, to bring on new teams and maintain for us a core fixed centralized operations and alleviate the, the teams that are independent from having to do a lot of this on their own. Lastly, if you're an investor in, in a firm like ours, the, the stock market has been a natural long-term denominator for our business, which historically has been positive. And honestly, I believe that this trend or this denominator is even further enhanced by the inclusion of alternative investments. So the profile of these firms is based on the assets that they own. I'd love to piggyback on that last comment you made, which is that alternatives enhances both A, hopefully client outcomes, but B, also the business model for many of these advisors. Talk to me a bit more about what you mean by alternatives helping these RIAs and RIA platforms as a business? Sure. The inclusion of alternative investments into client portfolios, as, as we'll get into a little bit more, can enhance return. Historically, they've delivered, at least on private markets, three to 500 basis points above the public market co uh, comparison. And additionally, have exhibited lower volatility depending upon the asset class. So I'm speaking broadly here. Therefore, when you look at the underlying businesses and client outcomes, by nature, we are aligned with our clients so that if they have better performance and lower drawdowns, that certainly helps our platform and our asset base. So we really are aligned. I think right now, most firms generally have somewhere from 3 to 5% in alternative investments. As we go through par parts in the market where there's downturns, the teams and the advisors that have incorporated more alternatives historically have been insulated in a lot of ways. We find their business and their underlying teams to be insulated from a lot of that volatility. And I can also add to that, Michael, as we look at the evolution of the wealth space as a whole, as we are looking to grow the channel and leveraging alternatives to help us do that, we truly think that it's easier to do alternatives today. A couple of years back, let's say a decade ago, it was very much paper-based. I think on your podcast, Shannon mentioned it really, really well. The wealth management space, it's a space of its own nowadays. We're actually defining it as a channel of focus and the entire ecosystem is truly paying attention to that and spending time, money, and capital growing, evolving, and deploying resources into that space. I think platforms such as Plus Subscribe, iCapital, Case can really help us propel the growth of the wealth management space. We were talking earlier with Pat, we, were, we came across the stat with wealthmanagement.com that private wealth channel is increasingly looking to strengthen its access to alts with 53% of financial advisors intending to raise their alts allocation to over 15% in the next two years. I mean, that's huge. How do you do that? How do you actually help advisors get to 15%? Who are the right players? Who are the right platforms? And how do we on the RIA side support that? So I think all of these things coming together can really help propel the conversation. Uh, that's a fascinating point. 
and shows that advisors have real interest in, at the very least, engaging in understanding alts, but also allocating to alts. You have a really interesting purview of this, given that you're working with a lot of breakaways and other advisors who want to join a national platform like Sanctuary. What are you seeing as advisors think about joining Sanctuary when it comes to them asking about alts, your capabilities within alt and how you can help them grow their position or books in the alt space. I think education is the key. You meet the advisor where he or she is. I think it's important to bring them to a level where you ultimately need them to be, but do it gradually. As we're evolving, I think we need to almost in a way lean on the resources that you've built internally. Look at our platform, for example. I think what's making us stand out is the fact that we do have an old team. Alternatives are here for us to stay. They're part of our DNA. They're part of our core competency. We have the resources. The team is by far one of the best on the street. I can say that because I work alongside Patrick and his team and because we have the right lineup of products. And Patrick will virtually kick me under the table when I say that, but he has this philosophy. We want to be able to deliver support and bring resources to clients of different appetite. We have to start with advisors and educate them on who are the players on the street and how these products come together, and then educate the advisors on the actual lineup of offerings. He has this philosophy, too, of each, Noah's Ark. He'll tell you more a little bit about that. I always say, because I'm all about growing the space and growing the lineup of efforts, I always say, yeah, Noah had two animals, but then animals started to have babies. So we need to expand our platform a little bit. He's always trying to really bring the best of the best offerings. And also the underlying technology that you work with, the fintechs that you lean on to help you grow is very, very important. Patrick, you came from the allocator world. You're at Invesco Private Capital. You're at Azimut and would love for you to share more about what you did there and how that's informed you in what you're doing today. Because I think, as Oksana pointed out, not everyone in the wealth space or at wealth advisors come from the allocator seat as CIOs or on the investment research team at an advisor or at an advisor platform. I think that is really important as the space continues to grow. More and more people come from the other side, bring that to the wealth channels. Would love to hear how you've taken some lessons learned from your past experiences and perspectives and how you've brought that to the alt space. I really think almost every alternative manager that has come into the wealth space had that institutional background to begin with. A lot of them are making their first forays or they've been in this space for a while. What's interesting is that there are a lot more GPs out there. I think we met with about 400 GPs last year that want to come to the wealth management space and are really trying to, to figure it out. From my seat here, I find it r such a great experience having worked on the other side to, to help understand what we can do to help managers come into the space. I can tell you a little bit about my background. I, I've worked in the, in the uh, private credit arena, working with um, firms launch um, structures like an interval fund. That's roughly a $2 billion fund now. I also worked on, on a hedge fund platform where we were dealing with a lot of different styles of blue chip hedge fund managers. Also an early stage venture capital fund of funds, which I think is the highest returning 
uh, alternative asset class that's out there. Your, your early stage venture capital is historically the number one performing uh, strategy and thinking about how to underwrite emerging managers or underwrite really small managers requires a very similar skill set when you look at any of the managers that we look at today. And then lastly, GP Stakes, I think GP Stakes is a fascinating business with a, the key to running a platform like ours, the first line of defense, is this a good manager? And so my background definitely helps lean to that, having such a diverse experience. But also what's interesting is from the allocation side, most advisors are not required the extensive focus, as I know you know, Michael, on the legal aspects, things like most favored nations clauses or running an overcommitment strategy or running secondary sales. You don't come into that so much if you're on the wealth management side. But one thing that I think is sort of not here that we could use that I'm trying to bring into the retail channel is the assessment of liquidity needs. I think your average insurance company or ENF and endowment foundation have models that meticulously balance their asset and liability needs. And they will set a quote unquote budget for the illiquid holdings based on those needs. And it's a practice not really embraced in wealth management yet, where they say, here is going to be our illiquid budget for the year or for, or for the long term, based upon what their needs are. I think that that's how the institutional space is, but something that uh, we could really do more on the wealth channel, I believe. I think you're hitting on something that's so critical to the alt space is structuring products to the client's needs. In this case, the clients are maybe different from an institutional allocator like a pension or endowment. What that then gets to is education, particularly around things like liquidity, a term you mentioned. Oksana, you've obviously spent time on the advisor side at large platforms or, or at RIAs. You've also spent time at one of the platforms, a case, educating the Wealth Channel on the merits of alt. What have you found in that process? And what are some of the learnings that have emerged from working with advisors to help them understand alt? It's a great question. And I love to break it down a little bit. 20 plus years of being in this industry, and I love it. I am extremely passionate about this industry. And I can tell you, seeing the evolution, how alts were not even part of the conversation when I started back in the 90s to now it's so prominent. It's really music to my ears. I wake up every day to support that, to grow and educate internally our own home office employees as to why they should be more open. And then, of course, taking that message to our partner firms and more importantly, taking that message to our general sort of what we call asset managers. And that's kind of what I was um, trying to do at Case. That was a phenomenal foundation for me. Being on the retail side of uh, a distribution platform such as let it be EAG Advisor Group that ultimately became Osaic or Latimer Thalman or Morgan Stanley when I started my career back at Dean Witter at the Trade Center. You educated people very differently. You just had a phone call conversation to them. You had client seminar to them. You had ongoing national meetings and you would close the sale. Today, that's not how people consume information. You can have the best product, with the best manager, but if you do not lean on people like us on the home office level to actually get you to the right advisor who can then comprehend and then consume and be truly buying into that concept and then educate the client, you won't make a sale. 
I think being at Case and having all of that come together gave me a really great wake up moment when I said to myself, no, we need to lean on platforms like Case to help us orchestrate how certain products get deployed and how certain products get delivered. We have something similar here with, 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 within our uh, structure and our platform. But I think it all comes down to knowing your client, KYC. That will help you bring the right sort of uh, education, the right product, the right scenario, and then working with asset managers to deploy it with their teams is the perfect recipe for success. What would you both say from different perspectives? You have one on the educational side and one on the investing CIO side. What would you say is the biggest mistake for each of you that fund managers make when trying to educate to or work with the Wealth Channel? We have met with a lot of private markets, alternative managers in the last two years, but it's increasing that want to come into the wealth management space. I think historically, they are incredible investors. Uh, you look at their track records, their business, their assets, they're great. We, what they need to understand is the operational lift and what that requires our ecosystems, our custodians, the technology platforms that are out there, what they do. And secondarily, their cadence of, of marketing. Sometimes you see managers in the retail space that are really successful have the right message coming at the right time and a certain cadence. Whereas in the institutional side, it might be almost entirely one-on-one -on -one communications where you pick up the phone and you talk to them. Whereas in wealth, it's a little bit more broader and it depends on the product. There have been some that really understand the space and some of that are still learning, but I think we can welcome having conversations with all of them and help them as much as we can with our platform. And if I can just add to that, Michael, some lessons learned that we can help with would be if you are dedicating yourself to this channel, dedicate your sales team, have wholesalers who can talk the language. They need to be trained differently. They need to work with home offices who can help them understand how we call our advisors? Do we use different acronyms? Are they financial advisors? For us, for example, they're partner firms, number one. Number two, education from the traditional uh, kind of way of how you communicate. Some still expect dinners. They don't work anymore. We're more about CE. We'll lead with education. We'll lead with training. We'll lead with something meaningful that can help advisors get smarter in the space. And then a third thing is help us visualize your product lineup. If you are investing resources, come to us and, and say, this is what you're planning to do. Here's what we're planning to deploy and develop. And here's how product lineup looks. Ask for support and ask for guidance. I think you're hitting on a really important and interesting trend when it comes to the wealth space that will help alts grow, which is you're seeing a lot of the larger alternative asset managers bolster their distribution teams to focus on the wealth channel. The, the publication CityWire has actually recently covered this a lot. And the Blackstones, Apollos, EQTs, KKRs, et cetera, have all tried to grow their teams. And they've brought in very senior people to do that, whether it's through the family office channel, the wealth channel. What do you think 
are the most important skill sets that a distribution professional, one of those firms needs? Is there a best background? Is it if they came from the placement agent world where they knew how to sell private equity funds, maybe they sold it to institutions instead of the wealth channel? Or is it someone who came from the wealth world or sold mutual funds and they know the wealth advisor and they know how the wealth advisor thinks about things, how to navigate the whole space, understand the terminology, like you say? Is there a background or skill set that tends to be the the best and most effective for a salesperson to have? Uh, I would say someone who listens, someone who can really act as a consultant, have that consultative mindset, someone who's willing to educate advisors as to why alternatives can help clients have better outcomes. Someone who knows how to connect with the client. How do you think advisors are thinking about education? What do you feel they need to learn most to be able to kind of grow their knowledge in this space and take their understanding of alts to the next level and also maybe even their their ability to allocate to alts to the next level? That's a very, very good question. I think they're overwhelmed right now. I think they know that they need to be in this area. I think they're trying to slowly but surely step in. We just had our inaugural invest management symposium. 73 of our best CIOs coming from our different teams came together to learn about the product. Some were coming in knowing already what it's like to have the right sort of tools and resources and the right makeup of the alternative product set. Others are brand new to concepts like illiquidity premium or concepts of QP versus traditional advisor and client who can participate and, and consume alternatives. So how do you penetrate that? Out of our day and a half, seven sessions were main stage. Three of them were actually focusing on alternatives. Then we had breakouts. So I think it's all of that, Michael. I think it's being able to bring that level of support to the advisor, meet the advisor at her or his level, give them the ability to pick and choose, still stay at it, be disciplined about it, create the right curriculum, create the right lineup of speakers and resources. We lean a lot on Franklin Templeton, BlackRock, Aries, Stepstone, all of these phenomenal firms who have developed resources we cannot do it within. We know they've done a ton of work in this space. What we can do, we can identify the need with the advisor. We can identify their level of proficiency. Then we can identify the level of appetite and meet them there. You mentioned something in, in what you said that I think is important to think about when it comes to the, the nuances of alts which is the larger firms have the resources and the ability to help educate the advisor channel. Smaller funds may not. Pat, you mentioned that you worked at Invesco Private Capital, very strong performing venture fund of funds, got into some great managers. Some of those managers are smaller. They're harder to understand they're harder to access and they're harder for the advisor channel to navigate, maybe because they haven't spent as much time in the VC space or because they don't know how to get to them or those managers on the other side don't know how to get to the wealth channel. How do smaller fund managers, whether VC or otherwise, do what Oksana was talking about and find a way to work with the wealth channel, educate the alt channel when they don't have the size or scale or resources to do so? If you look at something like an emerging manager, 
The issue for me isn't so much, are they good at investing? It's also this operational part. If it's a $10 million fund and we put a million dollars into it, we're 10% of your fund. I talk to a lot of emerging traditional asset managers where it's challenging for us to sometimes even do their mutual funds, ETFs, and things like that just because of a sizing denominator quantum issue. Things like top tier early stage venture capital managers, the research show you that smaller managers and newer emerging managers outperform. I think that works really well if you're at a venture fund of funds where you're investing across 10 to 15 managers and you're getting that power law of return where a few names in either of those funds can make up the entire vintage of fund of funds you have. Whereas your average advisor who's putting maybe $100,000 or a million dollars has to make that decision. It's really challenging for them to build that institutional vintage portfolio. There are some paths to do that, but I think you're going to have to probably go with platforms. And I've seen some great ones out there that create fund of funds or things that look like fund of funds to give that broad exposure because the advisor simply can't do the single investment into an early stage fund or into an emerging manager. You're bringing up a really important point and maybe even challenge for the wealth space. I'm going to lay out a logic set and then would love to hear your thoughts on how this could potentially be remedied. So, Advisors are fiduciaries. Their job is to find the best possible investments for their clients. We can all agree on that. That means looking at as many different investment opportunities as possible to find them. It may be a challenge as you get to some of these smaller managers, and yet they may want to have some exposure to some of these spaces, whether it be early stage venture or something else. How do advisors square that circle of wanting to look at all the different managers because as a fiduciary, that's their job, but may not necessarily be able to? The way we do it. And I think this is a framework that any platform has to have with the amount of due diligence or documentation, the training and a variety of things that were, are required when it goes to do alternative investments. We have to rely on the home office. Like my team, I have two great people, Matt and Grant, that really help look at the universe. We come up with a taxonomy of investments, sort of two of every kind of animal called Noah's Ark internally. It could be an emerging manager and it could be established, but say we really like private credit, or we have some of our own internal things that we like right now, which we can get into, but whether it's GP stakes or home builder finance or whatever, and say, I really want to get access to that, then we're going to try and scour the universe to find two options for almost every single thing that we can provide. And if something is too niche, like within an early stage venture capital fund, if there's just not enough holdings in that where we have the conviction that we're going to get some positive return, then we're going to start to look at managers that can provide that exposure, but through things like secondaries or fund of funds or structures that allow them to get that kind of exposure and return profile without necessarily investing with a single manager just due to the risks associated with that. And there are some really great ones right now. And it also depends, obviously, on the accreditation and the goal and the current allocation that the clients have. That's been the best way for us to square that circle, which can be challenging for the manager themselves. If I may also add to that, because I think it's an important point. Yes, lean on the home office. Find the right home office who will represent you. 
but also work with uh, industry operating uh, bodies and supporters and advocates such as Kaya or IPA or Adisa in the retail space. Those organizations do come across as a supporter, as a network fighting on behalf of the wall space creating the right education. We're talking to Kaya right now, potentially looking at their C curriculum. But I think if you are a boutique firm, your niche probably is going to find a fit with an advisor, but you need to find that advisor. Take the time to partner with the right RIA. Take the time to partner with the right family office. Learn about them and be all the ways. I think that's a great segue into something that, that you just referenced and also Patrick, you referenced before, which is there may be other ways to get exposure to something. So you mentioned secondaries, fund of funds in the venture space, not just specifically to venture, but what do you think are some of the best ways to on-ramp advisors and their clients who maybe haven't had as much exposure to private markets to the asset class? Education, I think, enlightens the advisors high level. Private markets, we think, are asset classes that are long only. They're fundamentally different from things like hedge funds and or unique strategies. And something like 95 to 99% of companies in the U.S. over, say, $100 million of revenue are private. So there's this realization that the benefits of diversification are really missed out by focusing solely on public markets and excluding a lot of those U.S. companies. The best way to on-ramp them is this education. It really becomes evident when they understand that if you're investing on a market cap weighted basis and you're not including private equity, private credit, potentially those could be like proxies for mid-cap or bank loans or high yield. And even some of the stuff that we see in private credit almost has an investment grade tilt to it. It depends on the underlying deal. If you look at the deals they're doing or some duration or a direct bespoke solution to private companies that the advisors are now going to get this exposure. The portfolios will be stronger. And when the advisor experience a market downturn and they find that their investments maybe are unaffected or have a different diversification or risk profile or catalyst, whatever you want to call it, they start to appreciate that. And that solidifies their understanding of private markets. And the way we take that a step further we bring our advisors, use them at our conferences. We create a universe of best practices, and we've seen their evolution. We've seen them go from very rudimentary to asking more sophisticated questions. When they hear from some of their peers about some successes, they want to learn more. This sort of peer sharing helps and having the right partner firms, what we call our asset managers, develop products and services for us also helps. So you have over 80, I think, as of Q2, partner firms that you work with at Sanctuary, the wealth advisors and, and their businesses and their clients. What are the types of funds and strategies that you found them to be most interested in right now and also looking forward into 2024? Because you're, you have so many firms that you work with nationally that it could be a great barometer for helping people understand what's exciting to the Wealth Channel and the alt space. I, I find private credit, call it direct lending or private equity, secondaries, 
compelling to introduce somebody to the space. We see that their portfolios generally and they're long only public markets. Maybe they've got high yield, maybe they've got bank loans, they've got maybe mid caps or some of these names that have the same characteristics. And I find it really exciting to try to get people to start to convert those exposures into the private markets. It's one thing. Once you've gotten through replacing your larger asset classes with their counterparts on the private side, more interesting, as I mentioned, are secondaries. There are really interesting deep discounts in venture capital and growth equity. Those are fascinating. Buyout has bounced back quite a bit. In addition to that, GP stakes is a space I find really interesting that we are definitely looking at closely and is near and dear to my heart. It's certainly a way to get broad-based private markets exposure with the additional economics coming from the GPs themselves. It's highly diversified and you get great exposure there. One of the best categories so far this year on the alternative side are cat bonds. The premiums in that are quite interesting. And again, these aren't recommendations necessarily, but just something to go educate yourself on. One of the best performing asset classes so far year to date. And lastly, there's a strategy in the real estate sector. And the credit side, we really like uh, home builder finance as well, which there's a lot of great macro wins there. You're not the first person to have mentioned cat bonds recently. Another CIO also mentioned that. I'm going to have to put you two in touch. I think you might have a fun conversation on that. I do want to touch on GP stakes for two reasons. One is it's a newer, more nascent concept within private markets. Because of that, in a sense, it seems to be, to some extent, like the end point of private markets in the sense that in theory, but I don't actually think in practice it is as complex as it sounds. It's really just understanding an asset manager's business and how to value that business, both in terms of how they make revenue, how they are able to raise AUM, and then how they're able to invest and perform. But it seems to be more complex when it comes to okay, if we understand private markets, this is the PhD level of deciding to allocate to, to private markets. How do you think about that in the context of what we just talked about, which is that education is so important and there's still so much education that needs to occur in private markets? And how does that fly in the face of, okay, GP stakes may on the surface seem very complex? You could look at it from 30,000 foot view, I think, to almost take it back to the original discussion we were having around the, the tailwinds of wealth management space in the sense of there are some catalysts for these changes. And this is also true in a lot of private markets, but particularly in financial services where the owners of these, generally speaking, private markets and alternative asset managers are looking for maybe they're trying to solve for succession planning. Maybe they're trying to solve where they want to grow their firm and a lot of the operational nuances that are in their way sometimes can be alleviated if they do something by selling a minority stake. And sometimes these platforms that are, are really good can be really additive to give those managers uh, advice, uh, put them in touch with other operational resources that may facilitate their business. And really, What's great about it from an investor perspective, you are getting exposure to their underlying investments and their funds vis-a-vis -a, -vis a pro rata portion of their business economics. And with that, there's an inherent link to the performance of their funds. And secondarily, as in true private equity or true private markets, if you have the ability to take that manager to the next level and really hone on their business, you're going to get additional return in the terms of the valuation of that platform. I think we have to then look at is 
what kind of exposures do you want? Even in GP stakes, there's, which we were talking just about GPs today, there's large managers, mega cap, mid cap, or mid market, and low market, low mid market, and what they do. And it's equally as interesting, but very similar just to what we've been talking about today. Yeah, it's almost a microcosm, right? The mega caps are going to be more based on AUM growth and their uh, fee stream versus lower mid market's going to be more like a venture like bet because you're betting on their carry since they're a smaller fund. So AUM is not going to be as large. So, yeah, that's a fascinating concept. On that point, is that how you educate advisors on something like GP stakes? The way that we would go about educating the advisors on GP stakes are making sure that we're going to go start at 101. Do you understand private markets? These private markets managers are either doing equity or debt investments across companies, real estate, or lending against those types of assets. They're doing a lot of interesting things. I think you have to have a general good understanding of the underlying firms and what they're doing. And then secondarily, give them a concept of who the people are, the process, their performance, why these trends are going to continue in private markets, the size and the fundraising involved, and how important they are. I think you have to educate from a high level because in the GP stakes landscape, every single manager is so unique. No two GPs are exactly the same. There are, are more and more of them coming to the space, but really it's relatively niche and nascent for people. So you have to understand and explain, you and me both know some really great GP stakes managers, but understand their backgrounds and their ability to make great investments, but also make those investments grow and turn into compelling returns. I believe the GP stakes landscape generally, those are some of the top performing funds across the entire private markets. It's a great lead in to question around kind of how you're thinking about 2024. I want to ask both of you what you think needs to happen in 2024 to help us get closer to alts going mainstream. Wow. That's a lot, Michael, right there. So number one, congratulations uh, on doing what you're doing. More of these sessions, we're an avid listeners, and I think helping us help you get the word out helps us all grow this space. So thank you for staying in front of it. I've started to listen to you back in 2020 during peak COVID when I would take you on a run right by the Verrazano Bridge, and I would say to myself, oh God, please help us get back to reality. But that was a dose of reality, and you continued with that. So again, Kudos to you for staying in front of it. I think one thing we can absolutely ask GPs, we're the LP, we're the ones who have almost a way in. We're going to continue to grow. We are recruiting into our space. We're clearly very optimistic about future and where we're seeing ourselves. We're just on the call with our CEO and the leadership team. 24-25 will be huge years for us. And we're hoping to grow with alternatives. And I think if you have that level of conviction, now you have to back it up and you have to deliver. And we have, we have results to prove. We have the team to lean on. We now just need to stay at it. The way you would do it is through more visibility through platforms like yours, more visibility through fintech platforms, just be in front of it because I think that accelerates adoption, helps people transact, helps people go straight to the point of sale faster, easier. I think also more education across traditional channels such as the IPA, ADISA, Kaya, 
have them be more involved in our space on the distribution side, where they can play a role, where they can come in, where you can come into our conferences and help us. There is always a way to bring your sort of expertise to the right advisor who will then take it to the right client. But we have got to stay at it. So that would be my advice for 2024. Patrick? Thanks, Oksana. Yeah, I echo your comments. Michael, I really appreciate your time and everything you've done to build your platform and all the different platforms that you're running. For us, for next year on our map, as Oksana mentioned, this wealth management industry, it's currently $30 trillion plus industry is experiencing a ton of growth and a lot of transformation. And our CEO, Adam Malamed, recently had an article that the wirehouse breakaway train has left the station. So there's going to be a decreasing market share for wirehouses from roughly 33% down to 20% by the end of 2025. And we're going to be taking on, and not just us, but independent RIAs and platforms are going to be increasing their share. Definitely. And I would love in that period, as they're moving for people to consider the alternative investment asset classes, their strategies, as something that they can do and something that they can make a part of their business when they do go independent. The products are great. The products are really innovative right now. There are so many good funds coming out from incredible top tier GPs. Since they're registered, we can see them, we can track their performance and create quartiles and we can see what the median performance was and then see who's top and who's the bottom. I think the next stage to find a happy medium is eventually, and we're working on this internally, but also it's going to require industry lift, as Oksana mentioned, is things like target solutions, things like models. We've seen some great managers come out with sort of high-level models, but doing things on our end where we can help create different types of models depending upon the clients and their accreditation and their solution at their need. And also, if we could ever crack the DCIO market or if we could create things that look like target date funds, I think that so much of it is the underlying assets and the underlying strategies are there. And we have to find a way to continue to bring it to the next level. And I think that will be something that will help us lift the overall allocations. I think GPs and LPs have their marching orders for 2024. You were very clear about that. I also did not ask this question with the expectation that you would say such kind of words about Alka's mainstream, but I, I appreciate that. And I, I do agree. Continuing to educate constituents in this space, both sides, I think, and, and this is one reason why I think what you're building at Sanctuary is so fascinating is you're really at this intersection of wealth and alts, and the wealth space is becoming larger itself, as you both mentioned, but also private equity investing in it is making it bigger, the bigger getting bigger, and then therefore they're going to do alts. So I think it's a really interesting time in the alt space. And you've highlighted that in, in a number of ways, which I really appreciate for our audience. I want to end by asking a question that I, I always ask every guest, and it's a slightly more personal one, but it's what is your most favorite or interesting alternative investment? I'll go right now. I thought about that because I listen, uh, like I said earlier, I'm an avid. I like real assets and infrastructure. So one part of my role is that I travel to due diligence meetings. I spend time at investor meetings and really go deeper, take that sort of institutional level of uh, curriculum down to the retail space and then see how I can then deploy it. So I had the opportunity to visit one of the data centers here in New York City, downtown Manhattan, where one of our asset managers on the platform actually today leveraging that data center to put into their real asset allocation. And it was fascinating. And they talked about the moment 
movement to um, AI, not alternatives investments, but more of really optimizing and moving you to the next sort of evolution of internet. That was for me personally, the way to look at alternatives. If you're just starting out, if you're brand new to the space and you're trying to have a conversation about real assets and infrastructure in general, I think we're going to be putting a lot more resources behind it and I'm behind it. You're in good company on that one. You don't have to be new to the space to be interested in that space. One of my other guests, the CIO of Calsters, Chris Aylman, actually also said that was his favorite or most interesting alt investment right now. Okay. Like to hear that. Yeah, and I mentioned a few of them before, so I'll, I'll try to come up with a singular answer that doesn't that's not just uh, cap bonds and and GP stakes because we talked quite a bit about that. But in this market, I think credit is really interesting, and it was interesting before when, rate, when rates were quite low, but now that rates have moved up significantly, and even if there is a little bit of we're pricing in some rate cuts, I still think if we have that sort of normalization, still gonna be really attractive. So you have to investigate the entire private credit landscape. One thing I mentioned that we're really interested in currently is this sort of niche market in the home builder finance space. We've taken a long look at that and look at lending to the sort of macro tail, tailwinds that are there for the undersupply of homes meets some of the needs and capital solutions required by some of the larger home builders, publicly traded home builders in the United States. And there's a huge opportunity, which we think is really interesting and produce some really interesting double digit returns. That's one we're taking a close look at. And of course, I mentioned some of the other strategies that we like. But that one, I would say, is probably something a little bit more specific for next year. It's a fantastic way to wrap up. We covered so many different aspects of the alt space and also how the wealth channel is really continuing to grow into its excitement with alts. I'm very excited by the fact that that many advisors seem to want to up their allocation solves. So that's great to hear. And thank you both for coming on the show to share your thoughts, experiences, and wisdom. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. I'm looking forward to future events. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks for listening to this episode of Alt Goes Mainstream. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find more episodes of the podcast at any of your favorite podcast sites, and you can read more about alts at my Substack, altgoesmainstream.substack.com, and follow me on Twitter at, at Michael Sigmore and at GoesAlt. Thanks a lot, and have a great day. We're going mainstream.